0: propensity to write out the problem-solving strategy or the techniques that it took to get to the answer of anything, I thought that that was weak. I wanted to show the answer quickly without showing the notes um, so that I can show how amazing I was at math. If you're familiar with the show, this is coming to me now, but if you're, if you're familiar with the show, The Good Doctor, anybody, any of you ever watched that show before? Raise your hand if you have. Yeah, okay, so a couple people, said so this reference won't be lost, The Good Doctor. Sean Murphy the good doctor when he was coming up with ways to solve surgical issues surgical problems that were happening in real time he wouldn't pull out a pen and paper and start going okay yep that's an aorta uh-huh and aorta is connect with okay yep that artery he wasn't doing that but instead he would have these like pictures in the air of how he should solve the problem. He would see the valve, and he would see how the valve was malfunctioning. He would see the muscle, and he would see how it was torn. He would see the bone and how it was misaligned. And then he would tell a team, hey, we need to do this procedure. And they'd be like, are you sure? And he'd be like, yes, I'm sure. And then they would do it, and the person usually would live. Every once in a while, person might die. It was usually not Sean's fault, because again, he's the good doctor, as the title implies. But that's kind of how I approached math. I would do math with an effort of showing how how skilled I was, but without having to explain it. I wanted to show off, and and that wasn't necessarily the the heart posture of Sean Murphy in the show, but it certainly was mine that I had these pictures in my head of of you know PEMDAS, right? If, if you're familiar with that, with parentheses and exponents and multiplication and division and Addition and subtraction, I could see how things had to be done in a certain order and I could give you the problem quickly or the answer quickly. And I took pride in that. I took pride in that. But most teachers, they required that I showed work. And you may be familiar with them making you do the same. And we talked last week about why a teacher might make us show the work. And Alan, he provided the fact that when we do the work, we demonstrate that we did the work that it was us that did the assignment. And Hannah, she talked about how we could see the steps, right, that we're doing, and by seeing the steps, if there's a mistake made, we can see where we veered off the correct path, right? And, and then Hannah, not to be confused with the first Hannah, said that we do it for mastery of skill, right? And this word picture was meant to, kind of give a clue as to what I was preaching about, and then I sarcastically, and I apologize for how much sarcasm I used last week. I listened back to the sermon. I was kind of sarcastic in a couple moments here. But the word picture was meant to get us to a place where we saw that reflection on how to solve the problem, reviewing the steps, proving who did the work, gaining mastery supersedes or are more important than having the answer alone. That to just have the answer to our problem, that's not process oriented and it doesn't really lead to growth and there may come a problem eventually that you can't solve without reflection, that you can't solve without study, that you can't solve without writing out the notes. And if we practice the bad habit of just saying, I have the answer, pick me, 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 two plus two is four. We don't practice the place, you know, the, the strategy, then it might be a time when we get 1,367,288 plus 37,406, and you're not gonna be to go me, me, me. All right? Michael, did you have the answer by chance? Okay, you kind of moved, so. I, I didn't remember either. So if you had the answer, I was gonna be really impressed, because I didn't even remember the problem, and I'm the one that said it. So we understand that we need to study the strategy. We need to go over the steps. We need to do it because we need to be the one that's understanding the work. If if Carol gets the problem and I'm sitting next to Carol and I simply copy it, at some point, Carol's not going to be there. So I have to show that I can do it too. It's not just about Carol knowing that two plus two equals four. At some point, I have to be to answer that question too. I'm not always going to have the luxury of having you around, right? But in show his works, we kind of went a little bit off of that path because we said instead of reflecting on the steps it took to solve our problems in life the way we do with math, we instead reflected on a God who is faithful and we see how he has solved our problems we see how he has moved masterfully in our lives. We see how he is the one who has taught us. We see that he is the one who has helped us to develop skills that we might walk as Ephesians chapter 5. Salut. As Ephesians chapter 5 verses 15 and 17 says that we could walk with wisdom, not as one who is unwise, but we can walk skillfully. Right? He's the one who's taught us how to walk skillfully. And we know how to walk skillfully because we have imitated him, Ephesians chapter five, verse one. And so because we have imitated the one that he has given, the perfect picture of God in Jesus, because we have imitated him as dearly beloved children, we then can go back to verse 15 and we can walk skillfully and carefully. One translation says we can walk circumspectly which is a fancy word that I once heard during a previous teaching where essentially the picture was, I can walk through a minefield and I can see where the ground is raised and I can see where not to step, right? I'm able to walk that way when I reflect on how he's the one that says, Michael, step here. Molly, step there. And so I become more skillful as I recognize I don't have to be the one who knows where to step next. I walk more skillfully when I recognize the promise that Proverbs gives, that if I acknowledge him in all of my ways, he will do what? He'll direct my path. For those who are writing notes, that's Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. He will direct my path. And so, We look at his works because it gives us an understanding that he is the one who has done it. That is important. If we want to fight haughtiness, if we want to fight pride, if we want to fight arrogance in our walk with the Lord, all things he would abhor, we have to recognize that he is the one who has done it. He's always the one who does it. And while he invites participation, it's him that gets the credit. The other reason why we reflected on this math homework is because, again, we wanted to see where we veer off the path to the correct answer. Where did we go wrong? What wasn't quite right about our way of thinking about a thing? Right. And so we got to Second Timothy chapter Two, if we can pull that up, verses 15 through 17. Sorry, I didn't give you much of a heads up there. But it says, study and be eager and do your utmost to present yourself to God, approved, tested by trial, a workman who has no cause to be ashamed, correctly analyzing and accurately dividing, rightly handling and skillfully teaching the word of truth. Now, when we pulled this up last week, I told you that, unfortunately, that passage, though it's really important to our walk, that passage, it sometimes made me uncomfortable because I thought I had to do all of this on my own. And as we've established, I don't do anything in my walk with God without God. There's nothing good I do, nothing noteworthy I do without him. And so then I can approach this passage and I could see where now that I have a proper understanding of that, I can see where I veered off in the past. Looking at passages like this, right, and seeing where I was putting the onus on myself being approved and that I was doing it by virtue of study. And that if I really legalistically approach the word of God and I read it every day and I responded to every U version notification I said last week, that because of those things, that's why I'm approved. But that would be incorrect. See, I understood and you might understand that there is value in studying the word. But your study of the word is not why you're approved. Someone who is approved desires to study the word, is a correct understanding of that, wants to use it skillfully, wants to use it in such a way that it might bring life, wants to correctly apply Jesus to their situation. You go, wait a minute, that's not there. Well, who is the word in flesh? It's Jesus. So if I know that I'm approved by him, and I spend time studying his ways, I spend time imitating him, I spend time seeing how he approached situations and how he obeyed the Father and how he only did what the Father wanted him to do, if I look at that correctly, first knowing that he must redeem me, then I can correctly apply Jesus to my situations. I can quickly apply his ways to my situations. I can analyze how the situation went wrong and how it can go right next time. Last, or this weekend, this weekend, I was talking to a dear friend, and in talking with them, I said something that I later realized was offensive, right? In the past, in not wanting to be wrong, I would not have approached them so quickly to apologize. But in listening to the person that God has given me, my wife, I recognized that what I had said was not the most kind thing to say, that it wasn't the proper way to approach the the issue that we had, that it wasn't very emotionally intelligent and sensitive and empathetic to the person. And I was able to remedy the situation far more quickly than I had in the past because I'm correctly applying my understanding of how is it that Jesus spoke when he spoke with people, How is it that he teaches? How did he bring about correction? I look at that. I examine it. I study it as someone who wants to be more like him. And I say, wait a minute. I was good up until that sentence. I was cool right up until there. And so I went back and I addressed that. Not from a posture of condemnation as if the relationship could never be restored or saved, but... Rather, someone who cherishes the relationship and says, I don't want there to be any separation between us, so I must remedy that thing I said. I look at the father and I see how he doesn't want there to be anything that separates us, so he sends his son. So if the father can go through great lengths to make sure nothing's separating us, and I'm imitating my God, then I don't want there to be anything that's between me and my brother or me and my sister, And so I move differently in how I remedy situations, how I repair relationships, how I correct mistakes, when I have analyzed and studied and I can correctly apply how Jesus operates to each situation. And that goes into understanding that there is a preferred way. We joked about how uh, my niece, when having to do her math problems a few weeks ago when I was visiting Harrisburg, She had to color in a flower based on the the way to solve the problem. And you knew that the problem was solved correctly if the flower had a green stem and had yellow petals and a red center. You knew that she got the numbers right because each number was related to a certain color. And if she didn't solve the problem correctly, she wouldn't have colored the tapestry. Although when you're six, seven, eight years old, I don't know if it's a tapestry ever. I don't know if it's really like an artwork at that age, but she was able to color the picture correctly because she knew what numbers fit where and she knew the numbers corresponded with certain colors. And I could tell her, hey, this is how you get to the answer faster. But the teacher wanted her to get to the answer a certain way. God wants us to approach situations, certain conversations. God wants us to avoid certain things, to go do certain things swiftly, to stop doing certain things. He wants us to operate and live a certain way. And if I reflect on his prior goodness, if I look at the notes of how we've solved problems before, me and God, I recognize there's a way in which he wants me to live. There's a way in which he wants me to operate. And I want to be pleasing to the teacher. So I acquiesce and I move in the way he would have me move. I no longer live as someone who says, I get to set the course of my life, and God, well, if he's good, he'll support my every move. He'll support me in the things I want to do. That is an error. That is always an error in thinking. There's a poem that is said for um, one of the student organizations on campus during their celebratory times, and They'll mention how they are the master of their fate and the captain of their soul. And I'm paraphrasing here. I think it's Invictus, if I'm not mistaken. And when they say it, I always get a little bit uncomfortable because I understand that it's supposed to be a self-affirming poem. It's supposed to build in the person who is saying it a confidence. But I get uncomfortable whenever I think of anybody or myself having to be the captain of my fate, or the master of my soul, because I am a poor captain. I I try as I might, I, I want to go the right way, but as Paul says it, uh, the things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I do them. And so there's a, there's a working out of how I'm to move. There's a preferred way God wants us to move, and it would be best if I made him captain of my Life. It would be best if my goal in life were to please him in all of my ways and that I would not seek out independence from him. That I wouldn't say I could live my life however I want, Miss Annie. I can live my life however I could do, whatever I want. Don't hold me accountable. Don't tell me nothing. And I'll mess up. You heard her say it. She wasn't even prepared for that, but she 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 locked in. I'll mess up every time. I show my immaturity when I try to do it my way. So I want to show his words. So moving on from that, as I was preparing this, I told you there were a couple verses and I showed you some of them last week that I now look at differently because of study, that I now look at differently as I reflect. Verses that may have given me pause before, I understand where I was going off before. And now that I recognize where I'm going off, I can look at them differently. So let's go to Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. We referenced this at the end. Remember, I told media, don't pull it up. Please, no. But we're pulling it up now. And I am convinced and sure of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will continue Until the day of Jesus Christ. Right up to the time of his return, developing that good work and perfecting and bringing it to full completion in you. Now, this is Paul writing to the church of Philippi, and Paul is encouraging them. And if you want to get really encouraged, like read the first five verses that precede this, Paul is really good at not just getting people out of here or correcting people, if you don't know what that phrase means. Paul's also good at encouraging. And so when he sees one of his churches doing something well, he could write super affectionate love letters to them, right? And so he's telling them, I'm convinced of this. Like, I know that there's some good stuff happening there now, but I'm convinced that all the stuff that he started, He's going to finish it and it's going to be amazing. But if I don't know that, if I don't know the God who started a work in me and will finish a work in me, I might think at some point that it's me that's doing the work. That's dangerous. That's dangerous. And so I'll actually read and Media, don't don't move from there. You stay right there, Media, because I know you're going to want to follow me. But I'm going to I'm going to go to the the first five verses, because I said if you read it, you'll you'll be encouraged. But I'm going to read them now. That's OK. So Paul and Timothy bond servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. That sounds so sweet, so kind. I I wonder though, Do we do that for one another? Because last week we were focusing all on like how he's worked before. And we've been doing the master or we've been doing the math problems and we've been looking at how our notes are important. But moving on from there, if if I want to reflect on his works, then I might want to celebrate his work and others, too. See, because if I reflect on his works, I can see maybe how I should operate going forward. I could see how not to behave. I could see how not to live. I could see which strategy he wants me to to implement. But I also want to reflect on how he's moving in other people's lives, and I want to celebrate that. I remember a few weeks ago, um, I won't say the person's name. I'll I'll just say Alan's name because Alan doesn't mind me mentioning him constantly during my sermons, but... Alan and I, during an elders meeting, was re- were reflecting on somebody who we thought in, in in 2023 had grown so much. And Alan, do you remember what I'm talking about now? And so, we were reflecting on this person that had grown so much, and how we were just so so in awe of how God has moved them from 22 to 23, and and just how proud we were of them. and And I remember Alan saying well, I can't tell this person, this person's going to figure it out now, I can't tell this person the compliment I want to give them because I heard that somebody else has gave them a compliment. And then if I give them a compliment now, the person's going to think that I gave them a compliment only because of person A who gave them a compliment. So I guess I'll just hold on to it for a few weeks and then I'll give it to them. And he was just so giddy to tell this person, like, I'm just so proud of you. And more importantly, I'm just so grateful to God for what he's doing in your life. And I loved how like giddy Alan was about being able to celebrate other people. And I think to myself, we all should be that giddy. We all should be that excited about looking at the work that God is doing in other people's lives and saying, Greg, I see what God's doing in your life and and it's amazing. And I'm excited for where it's going. I'm excited for where He's going to take you, what he's going to show you. Jameson, I'm excited. Jameson, you weren't this way a few years ago. But I'm excited because there are things you move in now that you didn't move in before. There are ways in which you try to lead your household now that you may have not been capable of before. I'm proud of that. We, we should be excited to do that, Family. We should make that a regular course of action here at Word of Grace Fellowship because the word demonstrates it. And you can look at several of Paul's letters and you can see where he's encouraging. Now, you also can see where he's like, y'all should be eating meat now. And you fools are still drinking, you know, soy milk. (laughs) So you also see where Paul is just really firm. But Paul's really good at it, and Paul got it from somewhere. He he. Paul has a Savior, and, and you have him too, and he's so good at pointing out what he's done in you and the work that he's beginning and the work he will complete, and we ought to spend time reflecting on that. Life groups is happening on Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday this week, depending on when your group meets, and you should should be spending time reflecting on how he is operating in the lives of those in your group. Because in this meeting, you don't really get to talk as much, right? But in that meeting, you're encouraged to do so. And so something I'll encourage you to do now, and hopefully I remember in the video that I have to record... I'm going to encourage you to take some time in the days leading up to your group and think about how people have changed from the time your group started until now. Areas of their lives where they weren't so confident before about God's faithfulness, but now they're super confident and they're walking in boldness, they're walking in truth. Talk about these things. Acknowledge these things. Because it spurs them on to... Greater works. How do I know it spurs them on to greater works? Well, let's go over to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 through 25. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Up until that point, that's week one. If I'm looking at his works and I see how he has washed me, how he sprinkled me with his blood, how he has given me a sincere hope, how I can approach the throne of grace, all of that's week one. But here goes week two. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. And I think one way to do that is to reflect on the good deeds we've already been operating in because of the motivation and stimulation of God himself. How is Annie operating differently now because of what God has done in her life? I want to point that out because Annie may not be aware that she even changed. Annie's just living her life. Annie's just saying, it's Sunday, I'm about to be, about to be at church so I can worship with my brothers and sisters. And Annie may not notice that how Annie approaches life is different than she approached it just three months ago. But there should be someone in this fellowship that's in life with you, watching you and saying, Annie, I'm cheering you on. You're doing good things. And then you go, wait a minute, I am? I figured that. I said, well, that's right. I did figure out that thing I had shared with you a few weeks ago, that thing that had really been bothering me. That prayer request I had. It, 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 God did answer that prayer. I have more confidence now. And you might pray even bolder prayers you might serve that much more intentionally. You might love that much more compassionately and patiently. Because someone points out, you're operating well in the Lord. You're doing good works. So we should be considering how we can do that. I think too often, the world has us set on considering how we can tear each other down and not on how we can build each other up. But we should be developing strategies for how we build each other up. Not simply saying stuff to stroke each other's ego, but saying things to have us draw closer to the most high God. There's a game that I've seen played a couple of times on campus. You may have seen it played uh, on the school ground when you were children or maybe when you were observing your kids playing at school. Maybe you're watching and you'll see that sometimes now they'll do rock, paper, scissors tournaments. And as people win, right, a rock, paper, scissors game, the person they defeated goes behind them, and they have to cheer them on. And little by little, bigger and bigger crowds are growing. And so we're playing rock, paper, scissors, and let's say I win my first ten matches. The people behind me are supposed to say, Donovan, Donovan, he's our man. If he can't do it, no one can. Right? And so I'm not asking you to do that. I'm not asking you to say, Hannah, Hannah, she's our woman. If she can't do it, no one can. That'd be a little weird. But I am saying, Hannah, your God is good. Your God moved in this way. Do you remember how you felt in September and now we're in December? Do you remember how it was when you thought about how your business could be? You and Kara were envisioning what the paper garden could be and you were nervous about this and nervous about that and wondering if this was going to work out and if you could fix this problem and if people will come and if they'll support your business. But now you walk in confidence and you trust your God and you know he's faithful And if he's the one who gave you the idea, then he'll see it through to completion. And you've already seen how problems have come up in your business. Things not working the way they should, but they got fixed. And people have come out of the woodworks to help and support. And people are meeting there now for for business meetings. And people are coming there for tea and they're reading books and they're loving learning and literature I'm encouraging you to continue to do this, this thing called trusting God. I'm encouraging you to keep going with God, going to God with your problems. I'm encouraging you to keep doing that because you've been doing it; it's worked out this far, right? That whole trusting God thing—it's—it's—it's kind of working out for you. Kara, what do you think? You feel like God is faithful? He's chilling, cool. So then, continue in that. I should be looking at you both and not just saying, "Man." That's dope. I want to start a business, too. That's amazing. Paper gardens, fire. Put it in the comments, fire emoji. You guys are like, hey, we just celebrated one month, fire emoji. We sold another book, fire emoji. We're lazy. We don't celebrate each other well enough. But if I wanted to say something bad about your business, it wouldn't just be a fire emoji. I'd have a whole lot of words, right? And I'd be telling everybody about how much I can't stand your business. So we need to practice affirming one another in the things of God. Because I find that we, we, we aren't as good at that as we, we should be at this point in our, our journey. But if I'm pursuing him divinely, and I want others to pursue him divinely, I should have ways in which I'm encouraging people to pursue him divinely. I should be encouraging you to move closer towards him. I want to be expert level at how I affirm you in your walk with God. And I'm not affirming you so that you get haughty. I'm affirming you so you go to the one who's holy, who's making you holy. So as you get ready for Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday, you should be thinking about that. That's going to be a question. How can I get better at or how can I encourage each other, the other people in my group, to move in the things of God? This is something we need to grow in. Proverbs says it a little bit differently. Proverbs 27, 17 says, iron sharpens iron. And I had to look at a few translations to get this. Ooh, we got the wrong one. That's on me. That's on me. I gave you amplify C, and Amplify C is like weird. Like you 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 read it, you see how? Oh, gosh. To show rage? What? That's not what I was going for at all. My word. It's like, why did he pick that? What is wrong with him? They trusted him to give the message today. What? Now, if you go to Proverbs 27, verse 17, and you look at it in the Amplify, it says this. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens and influences another through discussion. Our discussion with one another, our talking about God's faithfulness, it has a positive influence on us. On the one who says the thing and the one who hears the thing. Alan Gosh, I've mentioned you a lot. We're, we're gonna do an Alan count, and I'm gonna do like, I'm gonna have like a screen here, and how many times I mention you will come up, right? I, golly, I just, you're also really close. I don't see that well, so like, you're in the first three, so like, you're just, but hey, we, we won't do Alan. Cass? Cass will sometimes compliment me. It's really Alan, but we're going to pretend it's Cass. Cass will sometimes compliment the teaching I did. And Cass will say, Donovan, you executed the text well. You interpreted it properly. Donovan, I love how you used this analogy. Donovan, I love how you got us to this place that was important. God wants us in this place. Cass will say that. See, Cass's name is on the screen now. Even though I was talking about Alan. Cass will say that. And when Cass does that, it makes me wanna teach even more effective. It makes me wanna study the word more. It makes me wanna be even more cautious about what I'm saying when I'm up here because I have a captive audience. And, and, and I know that if I'm wrong up here, if I'm in error up here, people can get hurt. So Cass giving me encouragement to use the word skillfully, that matters. I appreciate when Cass notices it, and then I want to continue to study the word more. Not to impress Cass, but to impress or to, to... What's the word I'm looking for? Impress is not it. To please my God. There we go. I can't really impress God, but I want to please him. Impress sounded funny. All right, so I want to be doing that. Now, we're going to start to wrap here. You've heard it said that they overcame by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And people oftentimes will mention that when we're about to get to testimony time and they'll talk about how important testimony is. And and I would have used that, but I think that the context for that is not quite where we're going today, though it's all scripture is good. So I want to give you something else that I think is testimony oriented. I want to go to Matthew chapter 5 verse 13 through 16. See, we talked about last week how we are to reflect on his work. If we write up the notes for the problem, we can see how he's been faithful before, before, and how if we can see his prior faithfulness, then it gives us more confidence and boldness to know he will be faithful again, because he hasn't stopped being faithful, because he hasn't changed his nature, right? And we also want to reflect on his works and other people's lives because it might spur them on to continuing to follow and obey him and to operate in a certain way. They'll use a different operating manual. They'll move skillfully and move well because you encourage them. and You notice it. But this isn't necessarily only talking about people in our local body of believers. And I remember pointing last week out the window and saying that God's trying to show us how to love them better, too. And, and just in case anybody was waiting for that, here it is. I think we're supposed to reflect on his goodness, we're supposed to, or his works. We're supposed to celebrate his works, and then we're supposed to show his works. And Matthew puts it this way, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket. Be a fire hazard, by the way. Don't do that. But on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. We reflect on his works so that we can see that he's faithful. We celebrate his works in others that are near and dear to us, people that are part of this fellowship so that they might continue. And we show his works, we share of his faithfulness with a dying and perishing world that they might recognize that there is a God and that they might glorify the true God, our God who is in heaven. We don't do it so that they would give us adulation. We don't do it so that we can seem impressive. We don't do it for fire emojis on our small business Facebook page. We do it so that God might receive the glory he is due from us, from others in this fellowship, and from those out there who don't know him yet. And know that when I'm saying those out there, we're talking about those who don't know him yet, not the churches like up the hill. Because while it sounds silly that I'm saying that, I think sometimes if we're not careful, we can think we're the only church that gets it. Something I'm guilty of every once in a while. So maybe all of you are holy and you've never done it. But every once in a while, I look at the other churches in our community and I go, they just don't get it. I want to be careful because that's not, it's just not how he wants me to operate. And if they don't get it, I should be praying fervently on my knees that they do. Again, we are really good at judging other people, other institutions, other organizations. but We need to get really good at praying that God would move in their lives because Indiana needs... Grace United Methodist to get it. It needs summit to get it. It needs anchor to get it. It needs Victory Christian Assembly to get it. It needs Trinity Methodist. I'm not sure what they call it now, because of the thing. Okay. But it needs Trinity to get it. It needs Calvary to get it. It needs saving grace to get it. This notion the word of grace is the only place where the gospel is preached effectively and accurately. That's wrong. And if you do stand on that, then you've missed an opportunity. As I see a picture of Jesus standing over Jerusalem, seeing them and seeing them like children without a parent, seeing them as wayward, but not saying they're, they're so garbage, saying I'm going to help remedy the situation. Do we watch his works and recognize that he is about reconciliation and remediation, or do we watch his works and say he is about condemnation and judgment? There will come a time when he judges, but until that time, we should be praying that that good work he's begun, he will never get tired of doing it. He will fulfill it in us, in the people that are in our fellowship, in the other churches in the community, And even in the ones who only have yet a seed of faith yet, they don't quite know him to be their their God, but they have a seed. We should be praying that that seed germinates into something special. No one should be too far gone. A passage I left out of my notes, but I'll mention it quickly now because we have a little bit of time, is about correction. Uh, There's a passage uh, where it talks about and somebody, somebody quick, if you can find it, I'll say it from up here. But there's a passage where uh, if, if your brother brings or has an ought with you, right? Or you have an ought with your brother, you go to him individually and you address it. And if they repent of it, you've gained a brother back. Amen. Hey, Matthew 18. Thank you. And if you go to your brother and they don't repent, but well, you might have to go back to them again because we don't give up on people right away. And so you go back with one or two witnesses and you address the issue. And if they repent, grace be to God, they, they came back. I, re- I received a brother. And that might not work, right? And so then I go back, and I go back with the leaders, right, the elders, and I say, hey, we need to address this thing. There's this problem going on. And if they repent, praise God, we regained a brother, And if that doesn't work, well, the whole assembly, we're going to go because we don't want this person to stay in this place. And so we go because we have studied his ways and we know that he's all about bankrupting heaven so that he might save his people, so that he might make sure that there's no chasm that sin has caused between us any longer. That's the way our God operates. So the whole assembly goes not to stone the person, but to say, brother, your behavior, sister, your behavior. It's unbecoming of that that person that has been rejuvenated and regenerated by Christ Jesus. This isn't it. We have to operate differently. What you're doing is dangerous. And if they repent, praise God, we regained a brother. And I remember seeing that text, and it goes a little bit further, that if the person still doesn't reconcile or repent, then we treat them as a tax collector or a publican. Not a Republican. (laughs) Don't be be getting spicy. This isn't political. Republican. We treat them as one of those people out there. But how did Jesus treat the people out there? If you don't remember, think about how he treated you when you were out there. Because if I reflect on his works... I remember that there was a time when I once was an enemy of God. When I once was the ungodly. When I once was the sinner who operated from my flesh desires, right? That operated only from my proclivities. And I'm no longer that person. So how did Jesus approach me? I want to reflect on his works I want to celebrate his works. I want to show his works, because even the person who's far off with Christ, they are able to glorify God. With man, it's impossible, but with God, they are able to be made new. His sacrifice was that effective. As Judah is going to teach in the next few weeks, he is the greatest of all time. So I want to show him to a dying world because I know if I show Christ to a dying world in how I live and how I speak and how I think and how I forgive and how I love, and if they get to know this Jesus, they won't be a dying world much longer because he died so that we wouldn't have to. Lastly, know that everything I'm asking you to do It's not stuff that I'm asking you to do alone. But in showing his work, this is part of the great works that he's prepared for you to do all along. If you go to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it talks about that, how he has made you to do good works. Like this is not something that's extra. We're not doing bonus activity when we're showing his work to a dying world. We're doing the works that he called us to do way back when. So you might say that's only for the super Christian. You're wrong. That's only for the elders. You're wrong. That's only for the titans of our faith. You're wrong. You can't abdicate that responsibility. You cannot shirk it. We are to show him to a dying world. We do that not with crosses on our neck. We do that not by saying, hey, guys, I'm going to church. You want to come with? We do that by how we navigate work situations that are messy. We do that with how we handle holidays with relatives that are messy. We do that with how we handle problems in this fellowship when they get messy. We have been called and designed and made to do good works And that is what God expects, and he should. Because someone was faithful and was doing good works before, and that's how we came to know God. So now, in a posture of thankfulness, we get to do that for someone else. We are to show his works. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you, God, for giving insight. I thank you, God, for helping us to see your word correctly. Lord, to recognize that there is nothing we do that we do alone. Lord, I thank you, God, that we have you as a support and as a helper, God, and that you are turning us into who you want us to be, Lord, that that good work you begun, you're not done with it. You're continuing to do it until you return. God, we are grateful for that. Lord, help us to celebrate our brothers and sisters who are in that work process, who are being worked on just as we are. Help us to celebrate when they have figured something out, when they are no longer stumbling, but they are running on behalf of you, Christ Jesus. Help us to celebrate it. And God, help us to see that our role is not to judge a world, at least not yet, But, Lord, it's to show this world your faithfulness that they might accept you as their way of escape, God. That this dying world would no longer be dying because you give it life. Lord, we want as many as will hear to hear, as many who will see to see. God, help us to have patience with the world around us and to not just simply see ourselves as separate from it. God help us to navigate the spaces we operate in better, Lord, and help us to glorify you in all of those spaces. It is in your name that I pray. And all of God's people say, Amen. Amen. All right, well family, I'm going to